appreciate you praying for me again this week. I've, I've been experiencing a blockage that I, that now I'm going in for a test on Friday. So you could pray that they, that the test would reveal where the blockage is. Till then I just have to eat real carefully. But, uh, as I was telling the ABF downstairs, when I walked into the hospital, I felt like I was home. <laughs> and people were like, oh, you're back! Yeah. One of the things that happened, I went in on Monday night, stayed in the ER for a day. Tuesday night was transferred upstairs. Knew it was the election, couldn't vote. Then again, New York was carried overwhelmingly to the other side anyways. I vote with God. Um, But the reason I say that is uh, Tuesday night I thought I'm not going to watch any of the returns. About 9.30, I broke. I started watching the returns. <laughs> what a week. I was in the, see, I don't have TV at home. I don't have cable. So I was there till Thursday afternoon, and I saw the upset. The next half of the day, I saw the riots and the unsettledness and the marches. Thursday morning, I heard politicians with inflammatory rhetoric We're a divided nation. It seems that God has given us a small reprieve. I know some of you probably don't agree with what I'm just saying. The protesters are down there. Not my president. Not my president. I was thinking about this. It's like the first century citizens under Rome saying, Nero, not my emperor. Well, if you're here, that's your president. Whiners, whiners, whiners. That's all we seem to have anymore is whiners. But you know, I thought about that and I thought, you know, of the last 16 to 24 years, we have been told as conservative Christians, get over it. Because of the last 16 to 24 years, the Democrats have been in the White House. But you know, this is what I'm thinking about. But I wonder if sometimes if we weren't seen as the whiners. You know, did we respond properly? Now, the way they're responding right now is not proper, but I wonder how we responded the times where we've been in the minority. Have we responded biblically to how God wants us to respond as Christians, citizens of heaven, slaves of Christ, heirs of a different kingdom? And that's what I really want to talk to you about just in the few moments we have today is How should we respond? Now, I want to set a couple things. First of all, saying, I do believe that God is, God's wrath is on America. Just because we have a president that may not be going in the direction of the previous one, I believe still that Romans 1 is an effect that, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. It's revealed. It's actually, you can see it. And he tells us in that passage how you see it. Because we, they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for cre- the creature rather than the creator. In other words, replace God. <laughs> Verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them 
up to uncleanness. And, and what that means is you're going to be able to see that. When a nation goes through a sexual revolution, that's God giving that nation up. Now, they can always turn back. But unfortunately, we have it, which leads us into the second phase of God's wrath, is verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to vile passions. And that vile, he talks about lesbianism and, and male homosexuality. Men with men, women with women. And we've seen that, sexual revolution back in the 80s. Excuse me, homosexual revolution in the 80s. And then verse 28 says, God gave them over to a debased or useless mind to do those things which are not fitting. It doesn't even make sense. And many times you watch the news and you say, that doesn't even make sense. And therefore, I, I want you to understand that as we are talking about this today, I still believe that the wrath of God is on America. Now, I'm not saying that we can't continue to change. But let's be clear, the next president is not the fourth member of the Trinity. And quite honestly, we're in such a disaster that it could completely backfire on the conservative side because we, we will be handed a complete disaster. You can't always fix a complete disaster. But I'm glad that how it happened. You know, I'm glad what happened this week. But we need to understand Acts 14 is true. God, who in gone by generations allowed all nations to walk in their own way. And that seems to be what's happening. Now again, it might be a reprieve. Thank, I, I'm, I'm thankful. But you know what? We're not going to make great, uh, America great again unless God's principles are used. Amen? So I mean, we're not going to get some guy that's a businessman fixing everything. Oh, we might, be, but we might fix a few things, but it'll become secular. It, it, it disturbs me that that uh, Trump didn't even give any, that I remember, anything to God. I don't remember him saying, thank God. Um, not that that may have meant anything, but all I'm saying is, he might be purely secular. Now again, I, boy, you're awful negative, John. No, no, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just saying, listen, maybe we were the whiners of last year that we see the whiners of this year. All, you know what we can do is say this. Let's just, let's just not worry about anything that happened for the last week and just say, how are we supposed to respond no matter what happened? But what if, what if uh, Hillary Clinton was in? Well, I can still preach. In fact, I started working on this message when I was for sure that she was going to be the president. Okay? That's, I mean, these principles supersede whoever's in the White House, right? It's interesting. Uh, I remember an old, an old preacher, Francis Schaeffer. I had the privilege at Liberty of listening to one of his last speeches. I remember he got up to the pulpit, you know, he was very frail and uh, sat in a chair and Francis, you know, uh, spoke to us and we were like, wow, you know, he, he was an earth shaker as it were. Um, but he wrote a book back in the 70s. And, and basically the book was saying, you know, America is becoming pagan. This was 70s, this was, you know, 35, 40 years ago. And he was saying, listen, we're, we're, we're sliding headlong into greater and greater evil, debauchery, violence, corruption, and seemingly populated outside the church are the modern barbarians, as he would say. See, the temptation is, is strong for believers to jump into the cultural fray, as he would say, as self-righteous, social-political reformers and condescending moralizers. All the while, those self-styled Christian activists forget or ignore that their true mission in the world 
And they miss that completely. And the true mission is to be light and salt. And this was the book he wrote. How should we then live? How should we then live? How should we live in this world? How should we live so that we do not forget our true mission? Again, we're not trying to reform society. No matter how emotionally good that feels. See, that does feel good at times, right? When we see society turn a little bit. God does not call the church to invest its energy and resources to influence the culture by promoting legislature or legislation and, and court rulings that advance a scriptural point of view. We shouldn't invest... Let me, let me change that. We shouldn't invest the major amount of our energy in doing those things. Nor does God condone radical activism. What do I mean by that? Avoiding paying taxes. I hear Christians at times talk about avoiding paying taxes. Disobeying the government officials. Inordinate amount of time in getting certain candidates elected. All that stuff. You know... We've just gone through an election cycle. By the way, I don't want to go back to the election cycle, but I'm just, I, I think sometimes the best time to talk about this is after the election. Right? Now we can talk about it. We know what's going to happen for the next couple, three, four years. Let me give you a quote. A godly attitude coupled with a godly living makes the saving message of the gospel credible to the unsaved. If we claim to be saved but still convey proud, Unloving attitudes towards the lost, our preaching, and our teaching, no matter how doctrinally orthodox or true or politically savvy and persuasive, will be ignored or rejected. End quote. See, it's big stuff because we need to be salt and light. And today's message is really on how should we be salt and light in this world? Yes, maybe America will turn. I don't know. I don't know. But, but what if we keep down this path and the wrath of God is revealed and things get really even worse? Maybe after a reprieve, how should we live? And if you want to turn to Titus chapter 3, we're going to be there, just verses 1 to 8. You know I'm going to be out of time soon. Let me read for you verses 1 to 8. Because this defines a Christian's duty to any, and I'm going to underline, any secular society. It says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceful, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Actually, there's a whole lot here. It could easily be two or three messages. We'll keep it to one. But notice that first word probably in your uh, translation. It says, remind them. Remind them. 
In other words, cause them to remember these things. These are things that you can easily forget when you're living in the world. Put them into remembrance. Put them into recall. These are things that we should know. But sometimes we easily forget when we're in the fray. And it's interesting that it's a command. And it's in a continuous tense. In other words, you've got to keep, Titus, keep reminding them of these things. Keep reminding believers how we should live in this world, this pagan world. So I'm going to do that today. And all four uh, main headings are remember. Look at the first one. Remember your Christian duty. And he really brings out seven different things here that are our Christian duty. I'm going to kind of clump some of these together. The first one says this, Remember or remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey. That's, that's one clump, the first two. In other words, submit to government policy. The word subject is hupotasso. It's actually used of wives towards husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands. What's interesting is this particular verb is in the middle tense, which means this in this context. Not, okay, the government has to make you submit. He's saying, listen, Christian, you submit in and of yourself. Do it voluntarily. Be a Christian that is a, that is a citizen of a different world. Learn to submit to the government and obey. And the word obey, one of the pieces of that is to listen. And sometimes we don't listen. See, we have our agenda. This is what, and we just go down this path and we need to learn to submit and to listen to the civil laws and the direct, uh, directives of what our government is saying. Now, again, I got to add a very, very quick, um, uh, point here, and that is, again, un- unless they're telling you to do something that is against Scripture. Now, again, this, this was written during Roman persecution. So, I mean, these were written to Christians who understood, you know, what do you mean, obey Nero? Trajan? Well, you know, how do you, well, obey until the point that they tell you to do something that that is against God. If you want to get a couple great examples that Acts 4, 4.18 says this. Acts 4.18, it says, So they called them and commanded them to speak, uh, to not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And now who are these two? Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen or, and heard. Yeah, I mean, you can't, I mean, if, if someone comes along and says, stop telling the gospel, you say, no, that is not right. Stop telling that person that they are female. No, that's not right. Transgender. Stop saying that they're, no. I mean, there's times in our society that you have to say, wait a second here. God made male and female. You just keep speaking the truth. How about Acts chapter 5? Same, another scenario. And they agreed with him, Gamaliel, and when they had called the apostles and beat them, they commanded, now this is where they, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let him go. I love this. 
So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease, te- cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. <laughs> Don't speak about Christ. And they went about, you know, rejoicing, going to the temple, speaking of Christ. Because when it comes to obeying God versus obeying man, you obey God. But, for the most part, we submit to government policies. And you see that, by the way, in in Romans chapter 13. Very, very clear. Verse 7. It says, um, let me turn there real quick. Romans 13, verse 7. Render therefore to all... They're due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Obey. i tell you what. As we obey, we're really saying we are citizens of another, another country. And I think sometimes Christians, we're too quick to say no. And again, it's not for the purposes of God. <clears throat> Number two. Or actually, this is the third Duty, be prepared for all good works. It says to be ready for every good work. And the word uh, good, and I'm going to draw a, a contrast at the end of the message. The word good is agathos, which means good outwardly. That's very important. It means good outwardly with a good attitude. But the, the idea of the good works are outward works. You're, you're a good, you're a citizen of, of, of the United States, but you do good works Outwardly, it's not just that you're thinking good works, you're actually doing good works. There's a willingness, a heart preparation. It's like Galatians 6, verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. And then he adds, especially to the household of faith. But to all. We should be known as those who do good externally. Now, I'm going to say something here. That means we do good even in voting. Now again, I couldn't vote because I was in the hospital. I could not get out. I, I almost asked, like, can I like run back? No, it ain't going to happen. Okay, no. Um, but voting's doing good. You know, they say the best, time, the best time for me to speak on money is when the giving's up. And the best time to speak on voting is when it's done. So actually, this week is easier to speak on voting. But I'm going to plant a seed in your mind. Just plant it now and let it grow for a while. You vote, you do good. Because what you're doing is, is helping a, a direction of the country. Now, most people in, in uh, human history has never had the opportunity to vote. Most were under dictators and emperors and kings and pharaohs, and they had no voice. We happen to have, we're kind of a glitch. But the point is, is that is something that you can take advantage of. That's doing good if you, if you do it proper. In other words, we need to stand for life and morality and family and marriage and justice and rule of law and how God has designed humanity to function. That's what you want to vote for. Let me say this. No Christian can vote for a coalition that reverses those things. When you vote for a coalition that punishes good and protects evil, that's wrong. I read these blogs about voting by Christians, and it's almost like, ah, vote either side, it doesn't matter to God. That's wrong. You, 
we need to think as Christians, and I'm afraid we've lost that sometimes. Let me just leave you with one thought. No Christian can vote for a coalition of people who think people who murder are to be protected and who think people who destroy marriage and family are to be protected and people who speak against these evils are to be punished. No Christian should vote for that. And I planted my seed. Let me go. Now, we've got to be careful. Be prepared for all good works. And part of that is being light and salt in this very wicked world. And so when I speak, I hope you speak this way, there is good and there is evil. And why would you ever vote for evil? And why would anybody even back down from saying that's evil? That's evil. What's going through in our society right now, will, we will self-destruct from the inside out. And that's evil. By the way, does God want good for... Yeah, he does good to all, right? James 1. All good in, comes from God. All. And, 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 and as, as we are salt and light, we're not trying to rescue the culture. But you know what? As we are salt and light, there's, God is able to do common grace to a greater amount of people. And that shows his glory and for our good. So I'll just leave you at that. Be consistent and aggressively good, even in the political side. Number three, do not malign, malign anyone. Don't speak evil of anyone. Now again, you can call what they're doing evil, but you know, this smear, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I think Paul is talking to Titus about. Even those unbelievers who are most antagonistic towards biblical standards. It, it refers to the cursing and the slandering and just treating with contempt. You know what the actual word speak evil is? Blasphemio. Blaspheme. We blaspheme them. It's sad that many believers today speak scornfully of politicians and other public figures. To do this is to disregard their responsibility toward authority and hinders God's plan for salvation of unbelievers. You know what we're called to do? Pray. Pray. Do you pray for President Obama? I've told you, there was years that I couldn't pray for that guy. I had hate in my heart. Now I have pity. Some. I can't say it's perfect, but the point is, is he's so misdirected. And you know what happens with power in a person's life? It blinds them to their need of God. The more powerful you become. Actually, I'm thankful for Hillary losing it for no other reason is this. I think she may finally look up. You don't look up when you're powerful. You do when you're down. Right? And what does it matter all this? Nothing of this matters what happens in 2016, right? It's eternity that matters. I'm, I'm fearful for our new president. He's had power upon power. Why would he turn to God? We need to pray for President-elect Trump, right? Salvation. Well, that he would be able to do what is right, but salvation... 1 Timothy 2 says this, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. See, prayer, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who, now catch this, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now he just said, pray for your leaders. Two verses later, he says, desires all men to be saved. What am I going to be praying for? Well, yeah, that they would, they would do righteously, but more importantly, that they would get saved. 
So put your, put your present pres- president, in fact, I don't know if he's even on our prayer sheet. We need to get him on if we, I, I mean, I've been looking at this and I, I would have missed it myself, but we need to get him on this sheet. We need to be praying for our, we need to be praying for these politicians, not to make our life easy, that they would get saved. So don't malign. I've been part of that at times, maligning. Don't malign. And now number four, be peaceful and gentle. Be peaceful and gentle. The, the idea of peaceful, now think about first century Christians living in Rome. Peaceful means not aggressive, not confrontational, cantankerous, and contentious. Sometimes Christians can get cantankerous. See, he reminds us that we must be friendly and peaceable towards the lost, not belligerent and quarrelsome. In an ungodly postmodern world we live in, it's easy to condemn those who contribute to the culture's demise and write them off as corrupt sinners who will never change. I'm glad there's people like Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. God can get to Manassas. Right? God can get to whomever he chooses. So we need to pray. And we need to be peaceful. And we need to remember John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave himself, his son, for what? Sinners. Sinners like me. Sinners like you. And if he gave himself to be the sacrifice for sinners like myself, then there's always that possibility he will rescue that politician. So we, shouldn't, we should not treat that person in a condescendingly, disdainful, haughty way. And then, second of all, gentle means forbearing. Gentle means forbearing. As one commentary said, sweet reasonableness. An, an attitude that does not hold grudges, but gives others the benefit of the doubt. That's why Philippians 4 says, let your gentleness be known to all men. And I would say, yeah, we should. So when you watch that politician, I'll I'll, I'll just tell you, Harry Reid. I have sin in my heart. Lord, forgive me. Let me be gentle towards that guy. Doesn't have that much longer on this earth. Right? Peace? No, I'm just... I'm not trying to give you a, 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 a face so that you, oh, he wants to get political. I'm saying, when you see that face, is there compassion? You know, you can, you know the great thing about prayer, you can pray right then. You know, he is, he is speaking evil and he is speaking foolish. But Lord, you can break through that hard heart. That's what we should be instead of getting angry. Peaceful and gentle. And then finally, show consideration to all men. Or my version says, show all humility to all men. And that word uh, consideration is found in the New American text. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It means to be meek. So in other words, as as, as I approach people that are in power over me, I should show meekness and humility. In other words, they're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. And though this, this, uh, this country is polarized, they're not the enemy. They're the mission field. And if I have humility and show consideration, then I'm going to look at them like that. See, humility, now catch this, because humility will lead to care and concern. 
pride leads to abrasiveness and the disregard for others, especially other people spiritually. So I look at my life and I say, you know what, I need to be humble. I need to be meek. I need to have consideration. I mean, as I'm as I'm been studying this and I'm thinking, you know what, as I'm watching the news, I'm gonna to have to be praying a whole lot more because that's gonna be the only determination in my mind. Am I showing empathy to these people? Or am I just, you know, I'm glad they're gone. No, I so that's the first. We should have Christ, this is our Christian duty. Those seven things. For time we need to just move on. Remember what I said in there earlier. If we don't have these things in our lives, then no matter what we say, no matter how right we are, people are going to disregard us. And, or, they'll, or they'll look at us like this. This is, what it, this is when it gets really uh, dangerous for Christians. See, if we get all this political stuff in and people that are unsaved hear you talking at work and home, family, all this, you know, political, political, political. Because remember, the, the elections are coming in two more years, Right? Two years and then four, right? Don't we have elections all the time? All right. But the point is, is this. They're coming around. <laughs> but if you just talk about that, then when you talk about what's really important, Jesus Christ, they kind of put that with politics. Ah, oh, he just gets up. He's always excitable. Now he's just excitable about someone named Jesus. See, we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Christ. Number two, remember who you were before you were saved. Whenever we attempt to be self-righteous in our attitude, to criticize, mock unsaved politicians and leaders, newscasters, educators, you know, all that stuff, sarcastic against their viewpoints, against their lives, you know, all that stuff, we're becoming very, very proud at that point. Very, very proud. Though we were not as bad as we could have been in our past, we were stained. See, all, all he's going to be doing here is Paul saying, listen, I want you to know who you were before Jesus Christ invaded your life. And that will create great humility on our part. Now, it is true that with Christian maturity comes a greater angst with evil, right? I mean, the, the, the more mature you become as a Christian, you see, and you see all this wickedness, and it just has a greater it, it, it affects you differently. So like when, you know, you look at political correctness and abortion rights and victimism and the blame shifting that goes on and all these alternate lifestyles, you know, transgender and all that, the, the freedom of expression, which is really ungodliness, porn, and the corruption of government, all that stuff. I mean, I'm not saying that that shouldn't anger you. There should be righteous anger. There should be a, it's like, feels like you're getting stabbed sometimes. But now what Paul says is, but listen, remember what you were like. For we ourselves were also once, and now he names, what, six different things. We were, we were foolish. Now, now, I hope you can do this. Go back to before you were a Christian. Now, some of you can remember that because some of you got saved later in life. Go back to before you were an actual believer in Jesus Christ. But this is really talking to all of us, even if you got saved at age seven. You were foolish. What you see on the TV, you're, they're fools. What is a fool? A fool is not able to perceive or understand. They can't understand. Their minds are darkened, Ephesians 4 says. It means to be ignorant and uninformed. 
That's what we were. We were foolish before salvation. In fact, Romans 1.22 says, professing to be wise, they became fools. And the idea became means they progressively became more and more foolish. Psalms 14 verse 1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Foolish, just plain foolish. Their hearts are darkened, their minds are darkened. That's what we're dealing with. That's what we were. Now, if I can see, if I can put that into my thinking pattern, now I can look at them and say, well, of course they're going to say that. Of course, that's what they need. Lord, they need you. By the way, at every one of these points, we can go back to that one main point. They need Jesus. Disobedient. Disobedient means unable and unwilling to submit to God's law. Unable and unwilling. They can't do it. Without Christ, you can't do it. That's what you were like. That's called total depravity, where you're bad to the bone. No, bad to the core. Bad to the core. Number three, naturally deceived. What do you mean? Well, Satan, the world, and the flesh easily deceives those who are blinded. And that's what we were before salvation. We believed in Satan, the God of this world. The father of lies, he's a murderer. They just, that's what we were. And look at verse uh, number four, serving various lusts and pleasures. That's really lusts is attitude, pleasures, or actions. But the word serving is the word we've been looking at the last three weeks. It's the word slave. It's not the word serving. uh, Like a servant, it's the word slave. They were slave to their lusts and pleasures. That's what we were. Before Christ, we were slaves to our lusts and pleasures. If you're in Christ, you've been set free. But they're enslaved to sins of all forms. And then look at this. Living in malice and envy. Malice is the practice of being vicious in personal character. Malice. Oh, come on, I wasn't that bad. Well, malice means this. That I want to see you go down so that I can go higher. And actually, the unsaved person is really just trying to constantly get over the next person. That's the heart of man. The heart of man is, I want... In in fact, that's why he uses the next word, envy. Because when you have malice in your heart, you have envy. Envy, jealousy, discontentment, uh, not contented, I want more, I want to keep up with the Joneses. In fact, there's even a pain in my heart when I find out that you have more than I have. Don't you ever have that feeling? If you don't see it, it's there. You're just not recognizing it. That's, that's the flesh. But that's what is com- totally consumes those who are outside of Christ. Living in malice, which leads to envy, which actually leads to these last two. Hateful and hating one another. Hate loathes anyone or anything that stands in its way or displeases itself. So there's like a progression, I think, that Paul is laying it out. Foolish, disobedient, deceived, deceived to the point where they're just serving slaves to their lust. Slaves to their lust, why? Because they have malice and they have envy in their heart and they're hating, hateful and hating one another. They're just this, this, just this chain. Now, if you look at that and you say, yeah, that's what I was. Now, all of a sudden, you can say, Lord, thank you for rescuing me, bringing me to, to light and to life, and now I can think differently about the people around me. So I need to remember who I was before I was saved. That just 
creates a great humility, a great compassion, a great empathy, and a great prayer life. Again, remembering who we were before becoming, uh, coming to Christ keeps us humble and prevents us from blasting sinners when they rub us the wrong way by their values and their lifestyle. How about number three? Not only remember who you were before being saved, but how about remember your salvation? And there's a little phrase right here in verse 5. It says, He saved us. This whole portion can be uh, summarized by that. He saved us. Look at how he puts it. But, verse 4, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man. But, the transition, but. Now, you were slaved, hating, envy, jealous, discontented, just, uh, you know, all the deceived, disobedient, all that, but, but God, but God rescued us, but God rescued us. Here's a few points, God's overwhelming kindness, that's the first part, but, but when the kindness of God our Savior towards man appeared, the kindness, the word kindness um, has the idea of um, uh, act of goodness, he was actively good to us. He didn't just think about being good. He was actively good. And, and the same uh, type of uh, thought was in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Ephesians 2, 4, it says, but, what, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And I could read the rest. I won't. But in Ephesians, the same type of thing. But God. But God had mercy. But God had love. He had kindness. So he rescued me. He rescued me for his plan. Again, not to change America, but his plan, his kingdom. So he had kindness to me. And then, number two, he had kindness and, and love. Look at God's undeserved love. And the love of God, our Savior. The love. So, and that word love is not agape. You would think, oh, I must be talking agape love, that unconditional love. It's actually the word that we get, philanthropy. Okay? Philos. It's, it literally means to deliver someone from pain or distress, or danger, and to do so in a way that is tangible. That's the idea. It's tangible, not just emotionally sentimental. It's tangible. So God literally rescued us. He rescued us for danger from damnation. That's his undeserved love. John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He actually not only pointed us in the right direction, but his plan chose us, sent his son for complete satis or satisfaction of his wrath, complete salvation. He did the whole thing. He was kind and loving. And then number three, mercy. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Again, mercy is not getting what we deserve. What, what did he not give us? He, 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 we deserve spiritual death, but he gave us spiritual life. We were enslaved to the penalty of sin and the power of sin, and yet he rescued us from the penalty of sin. They, see, he gave us mercy. We deserved hell. He gives us heaven. We don't deserve that. We deserve hell. So... He's, he's given us mercy. Let me just flip that since we're here. He gave us mercy, which, giving us, which means he didn't give us what we deserve, but he also gave us grace, which means he gave us what we don't deserve. Again, he gave us life. 
He gave us righteousness. He gave us heaven. He gave us His family. In other words, we're part of His family. That's all His mercy. And then number four, the washing of regeneration. Through the washing of regeneration. That, that regeneration there is the new birth. In fact, you see this when Jesus talking to Nicodemus, you must be born again. By the way, when He said you must be born again, that is not a command. That is a statement. He's telling Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Now, think about this. When you were born the first time, remember? You remember that when you were born the first time? You know, when your mom had you the first time. and You remember that, don't you? How much of that did you play into? I mean, how much of that did you participate in? Like, how much of, the, how much of that birth process did you make happen? Nothing. You don't even remember it. And that's what Jesus is saying in Nicodemus. You need to be born again, but there's no part of that that you can play. You can't, you can't earn your salvation is what he's saying. And that's why he talks about the Spirit. It's the Spirit that's going to, going to transform your life. Take you from death to life. It's the Spirit of God that does it. In other words, salvation is an act of God. It's not, a, it's not what we do, it's what He's done. So he says, the washing of regeneration. And then the Holy Spirit's renewing work. And the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Last part of verse 5. We looked a few weeks ago at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Who did that? Remember I gave you that illustration of changing the price tags? What am I saying? I'm saying this. When Jesus Christ saved you, not only did He save you, but He gave you a new value system. And so here, when He's saying the renewing work, He's saying, listen, you've been transformed. Your, your desires are new. Your loves, your inclinations. It's all new. It's all new. You become a new creation. And finally, verse 6, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs. Now catch this. Heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is He doing when He's saying heirs according to the hope of eternal life? He is putting the believer's eyes right towards heaven. Listen, this is why you can live this way. This is why you can do these duties here on this earth. This is why you need to remember what you've been saved from. This is why you need to remember you know, your salvation, because when it's all said and done, you're not a citizen of the United States of America, you're a citizen of heaven. And so I think the last point here is, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, this is not our home, we're just a passing through. We're just a passing through. And we've got to keep remembering that. So we need to spend our time and our energy working for eternal purposes. What do you mean, John? I'm telling you what we've been talking about. Again, this is convicting to me because when I like, you know, when I watch the news, I like, I get entertained. We watch it for entertainment purposes. Really, a lot of it. We need to be praying. And our hearts should be broke. And we should have a, a compassion and an empathy. These are, these are people in darkness, Lord. They need Christ. They need salvation. And the more we remember these things, the more we're going to be thinking that direction. Because then it won't be about us and our comfort zone. It will be about them and their salvation. So we need to remember our duties. Remember before we were saved. Remember our salvation. And finally, we need to remember our mission. And I think you find that in verse 8. 
This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. Remember what he said? Remind them. That means remind them over and over again. Well, here he's saying the pretty similar thing. I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Now, we've seen that before. But this last piece, I think, gives us the key. These things are good and profitable to men. That word good there is a change. The first word good we saw in verse 1 is good externally. Here, this word is good internally. He's changing, he's saying, listen, I want you to do these things because these things are good and profitable to men. Now, what do you mean good internally? In other words, what is the highest value? What's the most important thing that can happen to a a person on this earth? What is the most important? Salvation. The internal working of the Spirit of God to bring that person from darkness to light. And when he says these things are good, in other words, intrinsically good, I think he's referring to salvation. That same word good is kalos. It's used of Jesus Christ when he says, I am the good shepherd. Now when he says, I am the good shepherd, you know what he's saying? He's saying this. I'm not saying, disciples, that I'm externally good. Like I'll be there for you periodically good. He said, I am the intrinsically good, inwardly good shepherd. I always have on my heart the care and the, and, the, uh, and, the, and the protection of my sheep, right? That's what the good shepherd would be, internally. I'm in, I think when he's talking here, he's saying, listen, these things are the good and profitable to men. You, you, you do what I'm saying, Titus. You preach this to the people um, in, in your churches, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to have the ability, they're going to have the opportunity to really maintain good works so that these will be good and profitable to men. See, it's not our primary calling to change your culture, to, to reform the outward moral behavior and profess political convictions of a nation. We shouldn't do that. We're not trying to come up with an evangelical Christian blueprint. The Lord has called us to be his witnesses before a lost and condemned world in which we live. The mission is far more good and profitable to men than any amount of social, political activism. That's what we need to focus on. So again, I just trust that, that these would be thoughts. And like I said, I wanted to do this after the vote because it's not about politics. It's about how should we live in this world? How shall we thus live? How should we live? And again, I think as I've watched my life and as I've watched other people's lives, and I know in men's prayer, Charlie will attest to this, and some of you will attest to this. In men's prayer, it took us months to kind of get a whole group saying, you know what, it's not about the politics, it's about the Lord. It just seemed like we were all gripped by the frustrations of politics. And yet, now I think as, you know, we just all need to think this way, because no matter what happens in the future, that's immaterial. You know what God is? God is looking at each one of our lives and saying, listen, are you really living like one of my children? Are you really living like a slave for Jesus Christ? And living as one who says, this is not my home, I'm a citizen of there, because that's where your reward is. That's where your, our reward is there, and our reward will be determined on how we live here in our understanding of there, right? So we want to live in this type of way. Not only that, but it gives us great peace. Great, great peace. So I trust that you will even think through these things. Because what did Titus, what did Tim, or, uh, Paul tell uh, uh, Titus? Remind them. 
Keep reminding them. They're going to forget. They're going to watch Fox News and forget. Keep reminding them. Let's stand for uh, worship.